All right. Well, we're going to get into our sermon today, which is committed or content. So I kind of stole this at the time of our Bible study. We were doing, uh, when Matt asked me to preach, our Bible study was reading the book. And we still are. Not a fan by Kyle Heinemann. Um, and so he kind of, he talked to me, told me what I'd be preaching. And I kind of hit me that as we go into the new year, a good thing we need to question is as Christians, are we committed to God or are we just content in our relationship and in our faith? So, uh, so and then, and not a fan, one thing that gets brought up is Nicodemus, and he's kind of the guy we're going to be talking about today. If anybody doesn't know Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee. The Pharisee, that was one of the groups of Christians in the Bible. And when you look at them, they are known as Bible all-stars, the trivial pursuit experts. These are the people that if you wanted to know something about the Bible, they would give you your answer. And they also, they weren't the greatest followers of Jesus. They were really good at telling you the rules, and then not so much on living a life committed to God. So it's a fine line of they know the Bible, but they don't know how to live it out. On top of that, Nicodemus was also a member of the Sanhedrin, which that was the exclusive or the higher up uh, Jewish council. They're most famous for the um, unjustifiable trial of Jesus that led to his crucifixion. So and then the last one we have there, we have a committed follower of Jesus with a question mark. So talking about the Pharisees, we're going to start with a Bible verse about that. So and that's out of Matthew 15, 8. It says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So just to kind of give you Jesus' opinion on the Pharisees. So, I mean, like we were saying, they're really good at telling you how to live your life. And at the same time, very good at not living that life out. So, uh, when you have a Pharisee teaching you, you want to listen, but you also want to be make, make sure that you're living your life committed to God. So... Let's jump into the main text for today, and that's going to be out of John 3, and this is where we get introduced to Nicodemus. So, there's a man named Nicodemus, the Jewish religious leader who's a Pharisee. That sums up saying he's a Pharisee who is a part of the Sanhedrin. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So, I mean, if you... Read this. This is a great text. It shows that Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he just is all in. You know, your proof, your miracles, the healing you've done, the stuff you have performed shows me that there is nothing else to say than you are from God. But there are two words here we're going to really hit on that really change the text of the way you look at this Bible verse. So we'll move on. And those words were after dark. And now, the couple uh, right now studies I've done on this, it shows that what these two words or what they signify is that Nicodemus was afraid to come to Jesus at any other time. And so he waited until after dark when there would be nobody around to talk to him, nobody else to see him coming to Jesus. And I mean, it's opposed to him uh, doing a Facebook Live video with Jesus. He just sent him a secret message from an unknown number and said, hey, you're the best. 
you're the best, but I don't want anybody to know that I'm going to say that. And so I would encourage you to actually read through John 3. After this verse, Jesus kind of goes, rips into Nicodemus. It's a lot of fun to see him explaining how internal life works. And you can tell Jesus knows through Nicodemus that he is not coming to Jesus with the right mindset. So I promise there's more, but we'll move on. This is after knowing that, after knowing that those two words and what they, the significance they have, where it changes it to after dark, you know, alone, embarrassed, ashamed to come to Jesus, he comes and says, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs of evidence, God's with you. And I think it was with uh, Tony Evans' series on John that I was listening to, and I kind of, I've got to think, I was like, what kind of guy, or how, what kind of person just comes to Jesus with false pretenses? Where you come to him and you don't really know why you're going to him, or you know that you aren't doing it for the right reasons. And you know that Jesus knew Nicodemus' heart. He knew what he wanted out of Jesus. He knew that he wanted to, for Jesus to think that he was committed. And at the same time, he shows that he's ashamed to be committed and make that plunge in front of his friends, in front of the other members of the Sanhedrin. But then it got me thinking, in our lives, um, how often do we put off coming to Jesus because of what it cost? I mean, have there ever been times in your life where, just like Nicodemus, where you have family, you have friends, and you don't want to do something that shows them you're a Christian because of what it cost? So, where there have been times where you've been out in public, and there's been a, where you know you need to pray with somebody, you know you need to be the Christian that Jesus would have been, and you don't put him, don't put up. So one of my things I've been thinking of a while. So our youngest daughter, she's eight months today. When we were in the hospital, this was I was pushing her kind of around the horseshoe there in the covenant, and I was kind of basking in the glory that I hadn't set off the code blue alarm yet. Or I hadn't fainted like the first one. So, but this was before I hit the baby stealing alarm, set that off. So, I was pushing Audrey around, and we were on the other side of our room, and we're coming around the corner, and we're on the other side of the hospital. So, I'm like, nobody there knows who I am or knows what's going on. And I just hear, here she comes. I'm like, because Audrey was crying, and I'm like, I know they don't think that they, either they are prophets who know who's coming around the corner, or they have us mistaken. So, come around the corner, and sure enough, it's people I've never seen them before. Like, oh, we thought you were our daughter and our granddaughter. So, I got to talk to them a little bit, and this is the family that this was their oldest granddaughter being born. Um, baby came out with the umbilical cord wrapped around her neck, and so they had to take her back to intensive care. They had a lot of surgery going on, and you could tell that this was a family that was in time of need. So, and even right there talking to him the first time, I'm like, well, I have to pray with him. And I talked to him a little more, and then I walked away. Came back around, they were still there. But, you know, kind of Nicodemus style, I uh, walked to the end of the hallway where I could still see them and pray for him. So that counts, but it's not good enough. And so I just think that, you know, we are no different than the people of the Bible. They had 
Jesus in flesh to come to. And now we, through the Holy Spirit, every day, we have chances to make that we can determine. Are we going to be like Nicodemus and put off going to Jesus? Or are we going to step up and not be popular, not be doing something that's well-known or well-liked, but we do it because we know it's right? So I would just encourage you to, if you have times in your life where you've thought about people in your life that you should have shared the gospel with, places where you could have been that example, and just think about what could you have done better, and reevaluate for the future to be able to make, you know, make everybody see Jesus through you. So, and then to kind of hit on that, uh, God knows where places in our lives. You can come and say that for whatever reasons you didn't do that. You know, whether it's something at work, something in your personal life, whatever it is, God knows. He sees it all. He sees right through everything we do. We can try to come up with, it with whatever good excuses we want to, to say, hey, I didn't come to you because of this. I didn't do this for this reason. I mean, you can, you can make whatever excuses you want, but it's not good enough for God. And so just, once again, just really be thinking about the fact that God, God knows. He knows every thought we've ever had, we're going to have. And, and if we're not going to be sincere with him, he can see it. So we'll jump ahead in John. This is going to get us to chapter 7. This is essentially the trial of Jesus. So this is the Sanhedrin. I mean, they've all uh, hung Jesus on the cross already. There was not a lot that you could say at that point to defend Jesus. Jesus, they actually say, didn't mount much of a defense. But at the same time, there was nothing that anybody could say or do that was going to change their mind. So, let's say in the dreams meeting, the guards have already arrested Jesus. And they said, they're, they're already finding guilty. So, they're all... Sanhedrin's talking together as a group, and finally Nicodemus, after talking with Jesus earlier, had kind of gotten a little wake-up call and said, hey, there's going to be times where it's not going to be popular, it's not going to be the right thing to do in front of them, but it's the right thing that needs to be done. So, we read there that, you know, we're really just in the middle of the trial, we're in the Sanhedrin talking it says, then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke of Is it legal to convict a man before he's given a hearing? He asked. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search, search the scriptures and see for yourself that no prophet ever comes from Galilee. Which, in the Bible, uh, Galilee is kind of, it's not the best area. And so it was a pretty, pretty common insult to say, Hey, if you're a Christian, you definitely didn't come from Galilee. And so we see that in here. Nicodemus has really upped his game of being a follower of Jesus, where he is now. I mean, the Sanhedrin, the numbers, well, around 70 is the, the member count on the Sanhedrin. And I'm going to guess that it's the number 70 that there were 69 guys that were all in on crucifying Jesus. And so to have the fact that you have that many people against you and to really be willing to come out and say what he says here in chapter 7 shows that, you know, after Jesus kind of laid into him, 
Nicodemus's thought of uh, um, his mindset's really changed. So, and we see with that that he's gone from being a bystander to a follower. He's risking so much by standing up to the Sanhedrin and just telling them, hey, we have got to be fair in the trial of Jesus, and we also need to listen to him when we're going to do this before we carry out a possible execution of somebody. And so, I mean, it just, it's huge to see that the difference between chapter one, where he comes after dark, or chapter three, sorry, where he comes to Jesus after dark, and he's just so embarrassed to have anybody possibly see him, that he's now jumping on board by standing up for Jesus in the front, in front of the Sanhedrin and telling him that hey, you've got to be living a life that's devoted to Jesus. So, as we move on, we're going to finish out with what the last time we hear about Nicodemus in the Bible. So, then we jump ahead to chapter 19 of John, 38-39. This is after Jesus' death. So, it says, afterward, Joseph, Joseph Amorathia, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, he asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. Uh, Pilate gave him permission. Joseph, Joseph came and took the body, but along with him came Nicodemus. So, and then it says, Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus in name. He, bought, he brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and olives. So, I mean, the first thought of that was, how many people here have lifted something 75 pounds? And then how many people have brought 75 pounds of perfume anywhere and done something with that? Got me to thinking about the time I took a shower late at night and sprayed some deodorant on, and you would have thought my wife thought I put 75 pounds of deodorant on. But, and so what we see with that is that this is Nicodemus, and the last time that he might think that he's going to see Jesus, um, I think Tony Evans had said it the way that he is bringing this for a burial for Jesus, and he is giving him the burial of a king. So, um, I mean, it's just, it's kind of a cool story to go through to just watch him transform from being somebody who's very much into the culture, the culture of the other members of the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees to where he really, where he realizes the importance of being a follower of Christ and how much more important it is for him to live a life devoted to God compared to him living a life devoted to the world. And so that's what we have on Nicodemus. And then we're going to jump into the difference between commitment and contentment. So. Um, as a committed follower of Christ, really there should really there should be one thing that you want to hear when the day comes where you're standing before God. And this comes out of chapter Matthew, Matthew chapter 25. I encourage you to read that little chapter. It's just um, the explanation of what heaven's going to be like for us. So this is probably one of the more well-known verses to tell us what's going to be waiting for us when we live a life devoted to Jesus, and that is. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Uh, I mean, I would imagine that everybody here has the chance. You can look at your own life and you can tell, are the actions that I'm doing, is that going to gain me 
acceptance from God. So I would just really challenge you to look at your life and see what areas do you have that need worked on and where, where can you make changes to show the world that you are a follower of Christ. So, and then we'll talk about commitment here and just some steps we can have for uh, becoming a better follower if we aren't or if we are a follower, just ways that we can keep growing. So we're going to start. Anybody who knows me kind of knows that I'm a pretty big fan of J.D. Greer, so I'm surprised I only have one um, thing on so far, but this first one is studying the Bible daily. We are very lucky. Our last small group we had, uh, we had men's, we had men's small group, and we had about eight, nine guys that uh, were really trying to grow together as Christians and just what can we do to better our lives. And the one thing we always hit on was studying the Bible and just what can we do and how can we do it to show others we're Christians. And I put the word study there opposed to read because. It's not about quantity, it's about quality. And you can read through uh, the Bible and you'll see the other Pharisees, you'll see Simon by the age of 15, and the whole Old Testament uh, memorized, but at the same time, didn't know how to live a life devoted to God. So you can read the Bible, you can know everything about the Bible, but until you're studying the Bible, to know how does this apply to my life? What can I do to make this apply to my life? And how can I take what I read and put this in action in my life? So, I mean, for me, what I've kind of gone away from is I used to just randomly open up the Bible and just read. Um, now I've kind of dialed it back to instead of quantity, it's more about quality. And that to me comes down to, it's. I mean, it's one chapter a day. Um, and then I really, I journal it, I really read it a couple times and just know what is being said in this passage. Other good options our small group came up with. Um, there's a guy in our group that does Bible study and they just do the Bible in a year. Every year, I think every Friday they meet. And for several years now, they read the Bible in a year every year. And so just, you're going to read, I think it's a book, a chapter out of the old and the new, and then the soul of the Proverbs is how your day is. And so when you're doing that and you're being devoted to putting that time into action, you're going to see the rewards of not only having knowledge of the Bible, but growing in your faith when you put it into action. So we'll get into what J.D. says. It's very similar to what we were just talking about. But growth in Christ is never, about, is never going beyond the gospel, but going deeper into the gospel. So, I mean, that's... All you want to, you can read, and you can read, 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 memorize everything out of the Bible, but it doesn't do you any good if what you are reading is not going into action. And a lot of it is because that I don't think applies to me. I don't want to follow those. I don't want to give up this or give up that. I'm, I'm happy the way I am, and I don't need these rules to change that. And... You can do that, but it's definitely not a life that's committed to Christ. So, going along with reading the Bible, um, we talked about daily, deep, and meaningful prayer. So, this was another one where 
It's always fun with a small group to, just to see when you have the different levels of um, commitment in Christianity from people who are maybe newer, you know, haven't been saved long, might not even be saved. They just want to know what is this Christ guy all about to you know, the higher ups that have been around a while. And just to know when you ask them, how do you pray? Uh, and oh, I don't pray. Or, you know, what kind of prayers are you praying? So I would just encourage you guys to be making sure that when you're praying, you know, it's God, God knows our thoughts. He knows what we want to say. And I had a Bible verse for this, but that kind of got scrapped after uh, a little awakening for me. But three weeks ago, our family, we had a, a family friend of ours had an incident at his house, which actually led to him being... Some of you know, so I told some of you. He was unresponsive in intensive care. Uh, just a freak accident, and just one of those things that you don't know why or what happened. Um, and that kind of awoken me, or woke me up to prayer. Uh, I honestly, I, I don't know when it hit me. There was a day since that had happened where I got to thinking, I'm like, why? Has it taken this? And I'll, I'll say that I've probably prayed like I've never prayed before. So I, I mean, daily, multiple times, about him and his family. And why has it taken this to get me to wake up to how important prayer is? And when you talk about the relationship you have with God by prayer, I mean, I kind of came to realize that that level of prayer that should have been there years ago. It shouldn't have taken an event like this. And that's, that's what they, you'll see a lot of times is people love to go to God in times of despair. And then when it's, uh, you're having life's good, life's comfortable, that's when that prayer level drops off. And so just seeing that happen and kind of watching, I mean, there's been nothing but miracles that's come out of Jared's incident. He uh, went to intensive care on Saturday, unresponsive, nobody knowing what the next hour is going to bring, what the next day is going to bring, and within a couple of weeks, he has moved to another hospital for rehabilitation, and I mean, it's just a matter of time what's going to be recovering or what he's going to recover, but there's nothing, nothing but the grace of God that <coughs> fixed that situation, and there's no explanation other than that for it. So, then we'll move on to uh, being involved in your church. This is something that, uh, probably one of the favorite things I like to tell people about Blessed Hope is that we have a church that regardless of what's going on, regardless of who's in need, we are there to help. And there's never a question who it is, um, why are we doing it, where is it, how much time am I committing? It's all about when can we go. And I would just, I mean, if you guys aren't involved with this church, we have so many teams here. I mean, if you if you just showed up here early before a service one Sunday and you stayed through both services, you would just see a lot of different teams in action to make that Sunday happen. So, um, and then we'll move on to talk about that. And this is out of 1 Peter. And it says, God has given each of us 
There's not a person in this room that doesn't have a spiritual gift. And it's something you can use to expand the kingdom of heaven. Uh, God has given you, each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. So you might be thinking about what gift do I have? Or you might even think I don't have a gift. Um, it's not the case. It's all about what do you use, what gift you have, and how do you use it. So for some people it might be general labor where you can't, you know, you're not gifted, you don't think that you can speak, you know, you don't want to be up here, but you can bust your butt to help the church, the building. You know, there's going to be the children. I mean, anybody that's done the children's stuff down there knows how chaotic it is. And you have people who love it. And there is, I mean, oh, it is a nice vacation to be up here. <laughs> so that's going a little longer just so we can all do that. But, alright, then we'll move on to discipleship. Another thing we have, another great, I don't know what you want to call it, a perk or a part of this church is the discipleship. I feel like uh, our small groups is a great one. Um, there's the guys, we just finished another study, and I know that I'm in a Bible study with a couple guys from the church. And other guys I know, other women, you know, they've said, hey, we need to do something daily, weekly, something to account, to have accountability from other people in the church to grow my faith. And so we're going to talk about some different levels of discipleship here and just how does that work in our lives and what can we uh, look forward to. So we'll move on with that. We have three different ones. Um, <laughs> For me, the three types of relationships you need. The first one is people you can look up to. These are going to be your pastors. These are going to be your elders. For me, uh, one of my favorite things lately has been some podcasts online. J.D. Greer's Church Summit. They have an awesome sermon series they've been working through the whole year. And then uh, another one's Kyle Eileen's Church out in Kentucky. Uh, they have an incredible series. And, you know, you listen, you grab your Bible, and... You know, you're, you're able to listen from your home to a church in South Carolina and just take what they're telling you to grow your faith. And it's the same in here. You know, if you're new to your faith, if you're new to the church, we have an awesome group of elders. We have some incredible pastors, staff. Come to them. You know, you can come to them and say, hey, I need some help to grow. And I would imagine anybody who's a Christian is going to set you up with people to help you do that. So next we have the people kind of at our level, and this is going to be, I feel like a lot of this, you're going to gratify it towards people, uh, or you'll move towards them that are at the same level in life either. You know, for me it's husbands, fathers, fathers of young children, just guys who understand where I'm coming from, and you know, to know that I'm not the only ones with the issues of marriage, the issues of parenting, and so when you have that, you're going to grow in your faith, and you're also going to have like-minded people that are going to be coming to you and telling you when you're wrong, how you need to change, and you, you and the same for you to them. So, but probably the most important one, this is going to be the one that's going to make or break you discipling to the world, is people in your life, whether it's family, whether it's friends, co-workers, neighbors, do you have people that are looking to you as the example for what a Christian is? So I would, I would hope 
that you guys all do have one person in your life that you know they're not a Christian. And you also know that what little time and effort they see you, whether it's a lot as a family member, whether it's not so much as a coworker, that if they know you're a Christian, uh, the, the impression you give them is more important than anything. So when you live out a life that is not following Christ, and you expect to be able to share the gospel with somebody who's already been looking up to you, you are going to find yourself in a very tough spot when what all they know as Christianity is you, and if that's not right, you've, you've gotten yourself behind the ball before you even share the gospel because of what you say, what you do, and what I really liked about this is Jamie's church and uh, the Summit Church, what they did, they're finishing up this week with, uh, they spent a whole year on Who's Your One sermon series on. Every person in this church should have one person that you can share the gospel with. And there should be no excuses. There should be nothing holding you back from sharing the gospel. And so it's just crazy to see about the number of people that have shared their faith and have gotten out of the comfort zone of being content and have jumped onto the committed side. So, I mean, I would encourage you guys, if you have a phone, internet, get on Google Podcasts and some church. I think I'm in March now is where, I, where I'm in their series. So, and then the last one um, we're going to talk about is putting the gospel above everything else. There's nothing you can do in your life that's more important than living a life committed to God. And in order to do that, the gospel has to be at the top of what you do in your everyday life. There is nothing in this world that's more important. Uh, there's no job. There's no friendship. That's more important. And we might want to say there's, that there's, you know, well, if, I, if I'm all in, I can't have this. You know, there's whatever, if it's an addiction you have, um, um, whether it's alcohol, just, just something that you want to hold on as your crutch when you can't do that. You cannot do that with God. So uh, we'll finish this section by talking about probably my favorite Bible verse where it just sums up putting the gospel above everything else. So this is out of Ephesians, and this is chapter 121, and it says, For to me, to live is... Christ and to die is gain. So there's, I mean, if that doesn't tell you what living a, a, a good Christian life is, I don't know what will. But if you're going to live a life in Christ, there is nothing you can do in heaven but gain. Um, and so you have people that, if you want for me to live as something else besides Christ, you're you're not going to your to die is going to be lost. But when you can know that you are living a life in Christ, all that's going to happen when you die is gain. So, um, so we'll move on, and then we'll talk. We won't even talk about content because I don't think we have anybody here, so we can probably just call it a day. Um, but we'll talk about what's contentment look like, and. What do people who live a life not committed to Christ 
How, what's the difference going to be? So we'll move on to Matthew. This might be a little hard to read, but I did that because of showing the importance of what the words say. So this is Matthew 7, 23, where it talks about, I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me. You break God's laws. So he's talking about on the day of judgment, the people you have that live godly lives, that in their opinions, they are a follower of Christ. They've gone to church. They've prayed. They've put money in the offering. But the core values of their lives were not lived out to benefit Christ. And what's hard for me with this is you almost want to, or for myself anyway, I almost accept it, or like when you have somebody who's so defiantly against God, like, I'm all in on being against God. Like, okay. Like, I can almost accept that more of you made your bet and you lost, but it just, it's, I don't know if the word's sickening to me, but just the fact that we have people who could very well be in this church now who are going to be no different than an atheist or somebody who's lived no part of the life towards God, where you just have made your bed and you are happy. You are happy with God not being a part of it. You're happy with the way you live. And if that doesn't change, I mean, it's, I, I just can't imagine being a Christian who calls myself a Christian and then, you know, be so misguided in what I've taught myself, what I've allowed others to teach me, to show that I'm not living a life like Christ. So I would just... And just encourage you to really grasp on to what in your life is going to be back from commitment. Um, whether it's a relationship that you know you shouldn't be having. Whether it's a family member that just brings you down. I mean, there should be nothing standing between you and God. So, we're going to kind of finish up here. We're going to talk about contentment. And just what does contentment look like? So, the first one we'll hit on is a very common one I think we see in the church, is that assuming others in your life are responsible for your faith. So, having some relationships with David and Matt, and, you know, other people in the church, uh, they love, or they, I guess they don't love this because it's not good at all, but they have people come to them all the time, or I even have people come to me, well, that's their job as the pastor. Their job is to be there every Sunday and preach. And, and absolutely, their job is to shepherd the flock. But when it gets to the point that you are either thinking Matt and David hold the key for your salvation, or even worse, is when you're a parent and you think people like Shauna are responsible for the faith of your children, that is just not a good position to be in. I guess I kind of, a, I put together, or I compare, saying the pastor is responsible for your faith would be like saying, the car mechanic is responsible for the way you drive. There's nothing he can do to change the way you're going to drive. And, you know, you can come in here every Sunday and be angry at something that the pastor said or something about the pastor. And if it's a core value difference, you absolutely should be confronting them on that or for something to the gospel. But if you just want to be in denial about something and not and put the blame on somebody else, go ahead, but it's just not what living a life committed to God looks like. So, then we'll move on to the family, and this is kind of for the guys especially. Um, 
but neglecting your duties as a Christian and growing the faith of your family. So a lot of research between our, my Bible study, just research I've done. Um, it's always fun to see the number. Uh, when you talk about divorce rates, when you talk about children who grow up to live as a, commit, a committed follower of Christ, that comes down to when both parents in the house are followers. And both parents are praying openly, they're praying together, and then you see it slide down as soon as the father of the house isn't involved. So when you have the men that, for whatever reason, don't want to be committed, you see that number just slowly decline. So, I mean, if you think that as a Christian or as a family member that you don't want to raise your children, your spouse, there's just something holding you back, you've got to be able to realize that and just be able to look, look to God first. Uh, Greg Sloboda, he did a great job at our men's conference we have in November, where it all centered around, as men of faith, your marriage needs to be centered around Christ. And Mark Moyer followed that up on parenting with the same thing, that when you live a life committed to God, your spouse is going to see you, your children are going to see you, and they're going to follow in your example if you're leading correctly. So, and then the last thing here is just talking about people who don't want an intimate relationship with God because of cost. You know, we've talked about this all day. When you have things in your life that are more important to you than God, you are going to get nowhere in the afterlife. You might be happy now. You might think you're happy now. You might think the things you have now make you happy. But in reality, that's far from the truth. So, a couple more things and then we'll get out of here. But I do want to just bring this up. This is something that gets brought up a lot with sermon series. And just when you're talking about somebody who there's something I've done that will, uh, that God can't forgive. There's something in my life, in my past. And I guess I took it out because I thought one JD group, what was enough. But it's part of his prayer he has where it's a prayer he has in a couple of his books, but it goes something along the lines of, there's nothing you can do, and nor is there anything you have done to earn the love of God more. There's nobody in this room that is closer to God or has earned more of God's grace than somebody who's an unsaved person who's never been to church. God's love and grace is out there. If you aren't there, it's all about finding the way to Jesus. For some of those who maybe hadn't lost it, it's about coming back. So, um, I think, let's see, I think we've got a question for everybody. I would imagine if you haven't been sleeping too long, you should know what the question is. But it's going to be, are you committed or content? This is something I want you guys to be thinking about in your daily lives where... Are you committed to standing up and work to when people ask you questions about faith because they know you're a Christian? Are you going to explain the gospel to them more? Are you going to say, I don't know? I mean, when you talk to your neighbor, are you going to talk to them about church? Just talk about where they go? Are you content in just letting the everyday 
run-of-the-mill stuff happen and never do anything to change the faith of those around you. So I hope you guys take that and kind of run with it. And to follow up, if you got your bulletin, I guess I haven't seen the bulletins yet, but I'm hoping that this question's on there. Um, and I kind of want you guys to take this and look at it and day-to-day Think about, if you're committed to God, or if you're committed, what are you committed to do for God? So, we're a couple days away from the New Year's, and I would imagine people out there have New Year's resolutions. And I would love to see that for some, this is the question you have. Is there somewhere in your life that you know needs to see you, that needs to have you be a Christian? So... If anybody doesn't know about me, I've been working in our jail here in town. I've worked there over seven years. It's a lot of fun. Um, but it's a place where it wears on you. It, it's a hard job. You, see, you never see somebody having a good day. And uh, one of the changes we made, I think it was actually right around the murky time, was David was talking about getting celebrated recovery into the church, into the jail. And so... Uh, Victoria Feet, Jeannie Klein of Barb Christensen, and I'm sure there's been others, but these ladies, they've been volunteering their time coming down to the jail to disciple inmates. And it's something I've been talking to David about, and it kind of goes back to in our Bible study, we uh, did a, we did Eric Mason's Jonah study, so it's an awesome, awesome short series on how to look at the book of Jonah. And that kind of woke me up a little bit to realize that my Nineveh is a jail. It's a place uh, I don't want to go. I don't. I've put it off for years. So I've realized my goal when you're talking about what am I committed to do for God is to try and get celebrate recovery started in a jail for men. So and working there and seeing the changes in inmates' lives from day to day. Um, talking to bosses there, they've said that the Celebrate Recovery program has been the best one that they've had. They've had a lot of other ones come and go. And I, it comes down to the fact that while Celebrate Recovery is uh, focused on the gospel, others have been focused on this world and the importances of this life, where Celebrate Recovery looks at getting into God, getting past where you are now and growing in God. So, uh, that really that about wraps it up for me. Um, I'll have the praise team come up, and I just want you guys, day by day, to be thinking about what can you do, what can you do to commit yourself to a life of God, and if you have areas that you can grow, people you can grow, that you are intentionally looking at them as somebody to grow their faith. So we'll go ahead and close in prayer, and we'll have the praise team close up. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for everything you've given us. Thank you for your son that you sent to die a sinner's death in our place. Thank you for the chance that you now give us with the Holy Spirit to advance your kingdom. And be with us as we go from here when we talk about are we content in Christ or are we committed? And I pray that you work through the lives of the people here and also the lives of those around us, that we show the world 
we aren't committed to you over anything else. Um, be with us as we go from here. In your name, amen.